0: Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at cheyennevineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that whatever... Our question, you are the answer. So we we're thankful to be your people. And I ask that you would strengthen us in these days, that you would teach us to, to war, to battle, to win, to take up our armor. Uh, Whatever may lie ahead. In Jesus' name. For his glory. Amen. So that, uh, that second to last song uh, really fits for, for the message today. Though I walk through the valley, it's only a shadow. Though my body may perish, it's only a shadow. Uh, this life is truly a shadow of the reality that is to come. And when when we're in the valley, uh, we need to keep that what's to come as as our focus. So uh, did most of you read the email uh, at the end? What I sent out this week? How many of you don't know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. Then I'll share it. (laughs) It was uh, was interesting. Last week I I felt led to to write down the vision for Cheyenne Vineyard and, and share it with you. And it was during worship last week that that the Lord really spoke to Ed, who just shared with us. Uh, he, he shared a Habakkuk chapter 2, uh, verses 2 and 3, in in the context of the vision for this church. And he, he didn't share that last week, but he, he shared it with Joy and I, last Sunday afternoon, uh, because we're we're meeting with he and Sarah going through their premarital counseling. And he had no idea what the message was about still because they had been with the kids all morning. And so Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, he really felt like the Lord was was saying that for for the vision of this church, even though he had no idea that I had written it down and shared it with all of you last Sunday. And this is what that passage says. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. We're not quite there yet in fulfilling the vision, but it's coming. (laughs) It's coming. The appointed time is hastening toward us. And uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting that the, the word that Ed had uh, for today also about Sarah, but it, it really applies to the message that the, the Lord put on my heart for today. I was going to try to be ambitious and, and get through two letters today because I didn't say very much about Smyrna the first time, I, I tried to combine that with uh, Pergamus, I think. And uh, <clears throat> so I thought today we would look at what the Spirit was saying to the two churches that were healthy in Revelation 2 and 3. The two churches that received no correction from the risen Lord in Revelation 2 and 3, and that would be the church in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. And what, what is interesting, sort of historically and, and recently, about Smyrna and Philadelphia, uh, Smyrna was known as the, the gem of Asia. It was the most beautiful city of, of the seven Uh, that received the letters. It was the city where uh, worship of the emperor began. Uh, They were so loyal to the emperor because the city had been destroyed and then uh, a few hundred years later it was completely rebuilt by another emperor and it was built as a planned city. It was uh, quite possibly the first City built uh, according to a plan, a layout. Uh, So it was, uh, it was a a seat of knowledge, a a seat of industry, and uh, it was it was a bustling city. And even today, it's the third largest city in Turkey. Uh, But it's it's one of two cities that have a a significant. Christian population out of the seven and the others Philadelphia. Uh, and as, as we look at the two letters, you'll see it's it's because of the promises that Jesus gave to to those two churches. That they still have a significant witness in, in the midst of a nation that is almost entirely Muslim, and and that witness has it continued from the time of the first century church until now, and, and that in itself is is pretty amazing, uh, considering the the persecution that they have gone through many times over that period. So let's let's begin uh, with Revelation 2, starting in verse 8, the letter to the church in Smyrna, the beautiful city. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. And that's, that's kind of significant when you understand some of the history of Smyrna, that the city was destroyed and it came back as, as something even more significant, even more beautiful. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death there, there are a few things that I want to point out from this letter the first is in verse 9 the risen Lord says I know your afflictions and your poverty one of the worst things of of going through difficulty is to think that nobody understands, that, that nobody knows what you're going through. And, you know, what, what we did this morning, that, that, that should never be the case for us in the body of Christ. It, it should never be the case that nobody knows what we're going through. That we're, we're going through a trial and, and nobody is helping us. Nobody is bearing the burden with us. Uh, but that means we need to speak. We, we need to share. Jesus always knows. And he, he says, I, I know. I see your affliction and your poverty. And that, that affliction, uh, the, the Greek word there is flipsis, it's a literal pressure, a literal crushing under the weight of pressure. And the, the pressure of, of events can test our faith. And there, there is a pressure in our country right now. There, there, there is a pressure to compromise the faith. There, there is a pressure against sharing our faith. And, and, and we, we've got to overcome that pressure the way the church of Smyrna did. And so the Lord was telling them, I understand the pressure that you're under and I understand your poverty. And there, there are two Greek words that are translated poor or poverty one of them means you, you have nothing extra. You just, you barely have enough. The, the other one, which is the one used in this letter, is that you have absolutely nothing. You, you are completely destitute and without. And, and that is where the church of Smyrna was. Uh, And so, when the Lord says, I know the affliction that you're going through, I know your poverty, I know that you have absolutely nothing. But in the midst of that, for the Lord to say, but you are rich. They had grabbed a hold of something in the spirit that was worth more than any possessions that could have replaced it yeah they they had been plundered their possessions had been burned stolen their economic opportunities removed but they were being faithful and the lord the judge said you're you're actually rich and his estimation is the true estimation so even they felt like they <laughs> can it get any worse and and the Lord says um, I'm sorry to tell you this but it, it's about to get worse for a little while for ten days which does not mean a week and three days but it means a short period of time with a definite end and you know in, in America, we, we have lived with such freedom of, of worship, freedom of expression, that, that we, we kind of have a hard time wrapping our understanding around something like this. But we should not be surprised that Christians followers of Jesus, actually go through stuff like this. And there are actually millions going through stuff just like this right now, this morning, and last night. And Jesus warned us, He warned his disciples in Matthew 5, where Jesus is telling us how it really is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And he encourages them to be faithful to the point of death. And it's interesting that we sang about that. It's interesting that Ed shared what he did this morning because it's happening in our world right now. There, there are followers of Jesus who are being hunted down, whose homes are being looted and burned Followers of Jesus who are being captured and sold into slavery today. And one of the significant early martyrs in the church was, was in Smyrna. And some of you probably don't even know what John the apostle went through before he was exiled to the island of Patmos I forget the emperor who did this but John who wrote the letter was dipped in a vat of boiling oil before he went to Patmos. You can say, you say, "Well, how, how did that happen? Nothing happened to him. He was dipped in a cauldron of boiling oil, and they pulled him out, and he wasn't even burned. So the emperor said, get him out of here. (laughs) And then he was sent to Patmos. That's pretty amazing. So John knows a little bit about what he's talking about. When he says, be faithful to the point of death, because even at the point of death, you don't know what's going to happen. Now the story of Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna in the second century, I'm going to read you both accounts because there are probably elements of what actually happened in both, and there is a little bit of overlap. This was in the persecution of Marcus Aurelius. I've got Fox's Book of Martyrs here, which is great bedtime reading. I highly recommend it. One of the commentaries that I have been using um, was written pretty recently, it was published in 2008. Um, thanks to Cal for that one. Um, the writer says that only one time was he ever able to preach in a church where someone had actually been killed because of the gospel. And he says when When you preach in a church like that, it's not like anywhere else. Because those people, they've seen the cost. They've counted the cost. And they understand that this, this clash between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world, it, it can result in, in casualties. And we, in America, we prefer not to think that way. I, I think many times we, we tend to think like the Pharisees in, in the New Testament saying, well, there must be something wrong with the church over in fill-in-the-blank if they're having to go through that kind of persecution. Well, the book of Revelation tells us that that is absolutely not the case because the two churches that were suffering the most severe persecution, Smyrna and Philadelphia, were the two that needed no correction. (laughs) So I'm going to try to read this story about Polycarp. He was the bishop of Smyrna and was martyred on Saturday, the 23rd of February in AD 155. It was the time of the public games and you can see the arena from Smyrna right there. The city was crowded and the crowds were excited. Suddenly the shout went up. Away With the atheists. It might seem somewhat surprising that by the atheists they meant the Christians. It was because the pagans had so many gods, including Caesar, and and they worshiped many, and all were required to worship Caesar. I mean, when when you had hundreds of gods, what was one more? They called the Christians atheists because they wouldn't worship any of their gods, and they just didn't understand. Let Polycarp be searched for because he was the leader. No doubt, Polycarp could have escaped, but already he had a dream vision in which he saw the pillow under his head burning with fire, and he had awakened to tell his disciples, I must be burned alive. I'm asking the Lord to give us his heart for the persecuted church today. because this kind of stuff is happening right now as we sit here his whereabouts were betrayed to the persecutors by a young slave who collapsed under torture they came to arrest him he ordered that those who had come for him should be given a meal And provided all they wished, while he himself asked for the privilege of one last hour in prayer. Not even the police captain wished to see Polycarp die. On the brief journey to the city, he pled with the old man What harm is it to say Caesar is Lord? and to offer a sacrifice and be saved. But Polycarp was adamant that for him only Jesus Christ was Lord. When he entered the arena, (laughs) there came a voice from heaven saying, Be strong, Polycarp and play the man. The proconsul gave him the choice of cursing the name of Christ and making sacrifice to Caesar or death. Polycarp replied, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened him with burning. And Polycarp replied, You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched. For you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and in everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come and do what you will. In spite of the appeals of even the persecutors, Polycarp remained immovable. So the crowds came flocking with wood from the workshops and visitors from the baths and the Jews, even though it was the Sabbath. And even though they were breaking the Sabbath law by carrying such burdens, they were, the Jews were foremost in their clamor And foremost in bringing wood for the fire. They were going to bind him to the stake. Leave me as I am, he said. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved, even without the security you will give by the nails. So they left him loosely bound in the flames, and Polycarp prayed his great prayer. O Lord God Almighty, Father of your beloved and blessed child, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received full knowledge of the God of angels and powers and of all creation and of the whole family of the righteous who live before you, I bless you that you have granted unto me this day and hour that I may share among the number of the martyrs in the cup of Christ for the resurrection to eternal life, both of soul and body, in the immortality of the Holy Spirit. And may I today be received among them before you as a rich and acceptable sacrifice. As you, the God without falsehood and of truth, have prepared beforehand and shown forth and fulfilled. Speaking of his dream. For this reason I also praise you for all things. I bless you, I glorify you, through the eternal and heavenly high priest Jesus Christ, your beloved Son through whom be glory to you and with him and the Holy Spirit, both now and for the ages to come. So much is plain fact, but then the story drifts into legend, for it goes on to tell that the flames made a kind of room or tent around Polycarp and left him untouched. At length, the executioner stabbed him to death to achieve what the flames could not do. And when he did this, there came out a dove and much blood so that the fire was quenched. And all the crowd marveled that there was such a difference between the unbelievers and the elect. So Polycarp died at Smyrna, a martyr for the faith, faithful unto death. I don't think I can get through the other version. So, that was how a leader in the early church viewed martyrdom. I read how a leader in the underground church in China, who had been imprisoned many times, suggested to the church that they find a cell for themselves. And spend time in in that cell daily to gain some of the spiritual benefit of imprisonment. I don't know about you, but it sounds like a, a good idea. There are a couple websites um, that you can look at to find out more information about the persecuted church right now. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs is one, and uh, the other one's kind of escaping me right now. Um, is it Open Doors or? Is that it uh, you know when uh, when joy and I taught our kids about martyrs um our daughter thought that that might be kind of a neat way to go. I haven't heard her say anything about it recently, but I'm not sure she's changed her mind. I... To wrap this up, I really have to go into Philadelphia because there's, there's an issue that, that, that really needs to be dealt with in, in that letter. So let's go on to Revelation chapter 3 and start in verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia... Right, these are the words of Him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What He opens, no one can shut, and what He shuts, no one can open. I know your works. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name i will make those who are of the synagogue of satan who claim to be jews though they are not but are liars i will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that i have loved you since you have kept my command to endure Patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming or that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now Philadelphia was kind of a unique city in that it was it was built as as kind of a missionary outpost for Greek culture. And the Greek culture spread throughout all of Asia Minor from Philadelphia. So it, it's interesting that Jesus talks about the open door. Because from, from the beginning, they'd had an, an open door uh, as, as a, a mission outpost, but for Greek culture and thought and religion, not Christian <laughs> culture and the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus was saying to them that he's giving them that same open door. Uh, It was interesting. uh, Roads from three of the other cities came together at Philadelphia and from there a main road went further into Asia. And many think that's what the open door really was. That from Philadelphia the church would expand into all of Asia. And I think that's a reality of, of what we've seen since then. Again, Jesus knows and he sees. Though, though they have little strength... They've kept his word and not denied his name, and you know what? What we see in Smyrna, uh, we see in Philadelphia, that the greatest enemy of the early church were were hateful Jews, who who just hated the fact that. Christianity had taken faithful Jews and turned them to worshiping Jesus instead of being committed to the old ways of the Jewish faith. And and that that led to a few centuries later the sort of attack from the church on Judaism. And and there's there's been that rift kind of ever since. And 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 we're we're waiting for the day when God brings the Gentile church and in the fullness of the Gentiles and then when many, many Jews will be saved, and he brings us together into one new man that Paul talks about in Romans 11. But that's, that's, kinda, that's for another day. Um, there, there's, there's an interesting terminology that's used in this letter that it can reasonably be interpreted a couple different ways. And, and this is the thing that I feel like I need to address today, where Jesus says in verse 10, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. And that that can be understood in a way that would support a pre-tribulation rapture kind of idea, that the faithful here, Jesus is going to keep from that hour of trial, and that that could be interpreted to mean being taken away. Uh, I don't agree with that interpretation. And I'll, I'll share with you why. What What is Jesus saying about the hour of trial that's coming upon the whole world? I, I would love to be wrong about the tri- pre-tribulation rapture, don't get me wrong. I, I would love it if, if God would keep us from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world by getting us out of here. Uh, but as I read the whole New Testament, I don't, I don't see that. Uh, I, I see that there's a harvest to be brought in as we approach the end of days, and that the faithful are going to be the ones bringing in that great harvest as we approach the end of days. And I, I just want to share with you a couple other passages where virtually the same terminology is used that means something quite different. And the first one of those is John 17 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. And I'll start in verse 11. And I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. It's it's interesting. In this prayer, Jesus is praying as though he is looking back on his crucifixion and resurrection, even though he is actually looking forward to it. In, in his thinking, his understanding, it's already accomplished. He is so committed to fulfilling it. So that's where those first few words come from. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas. But now I come to you, I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And that that Greek word keep is terio, which is to watch, to keep the eyes upon, keeping for the fulfillment of a prophecy or to perform watchfully. And it really fits in the end of that passage in John, where Jesus talking about his disciples, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And the other passage Is in Jesus' model prayer, where we again have virtually the same phraseology. This then, in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 9, this then is how you should pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And our our understanding of being delivered from the evil one is not that God is going to remove us from where the evil one is. It's that he would keep us from falling into agreement with that evil one and falling into evil and, and sin. And in the high priestly prayer at the end where Jesus says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. And again, that is not a walling us off from where the evil one is or a taking us out of where the evil one is, but it is a, a keeping from falling into agreement with the evil one and I believe that is also what Jesus is saying in Revelation chapter 3 when he says I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world So he he would not be removing us from, but he would be watching over us through that time of trial. And, And I believe that is the promise that we not only have now, but it is the promise that the people of God have had to hold on to for these last two thousand plus years as the church has gone through many, many horrible times of persecution. And and again the 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 literal meaning for the church in, in Philadelphia uh, was was not that they were removed, but that they were kept through the trial that that they were going through in in the first century so i i think to me that is that is an important piece of understanding because i i think we in america are especially susceptible to becoming offended at God in trials and because we we have had it so easy really compared to the church in the world for the last 2000 years we we have had it our generation has had it very very easy as easy as anyone in in the history of, of the church so if if we hold to a a pre-trib rapture and it does not happen and and the, the time of trial that is coming upon the whole world to test the hearts of men comes upon us we will be very susceptible to becoming very offended at God at what we have to go through and you know what, what is on my heart for us today there, there's a couple things that, that, that we would receive the Lord's heart for those who are being persecuted in the world right now and, and that we would pray for them daily. And I, I have had to repent that I, I have not done that very much recently. And I, I had some powerful times of prayer this week for the persecuted church as I looked at what people are going through at what our brothers and sisters in, in the faith are going through in some of the Muslim countries in and around the Middle East, what, uh, what they're going through in India, uh, what, what they're going through in, in some of the countries in, in Africa where radical Muslim groups are, are just uh, severely persecuting Christians uh it's it's as bad as anything in in fox's book of martyrs what what's going on right now uh the beheadings the the burnings of christian homes and and churches and the capturing into slavery it it's all happening right now and and for followers of Jesus to experience those kinds of of things and completely without expectation would would be a horrible thing and we we don't know what the future holds for us right here in America real and and severe persecution could come i'm i'm not standing here as a prophet telling you it's going to come but it it could happen and and we as as the people of god we we we've got to prepare our hearts and and have uh, a talk with ourselves before God and and find out if if our heart if our faith is ready for something like that cuz it, it probably isn't right now but it needs to get to that place uh you see, when, when Jesus paid the, the full price for you and for me, and, and we accepted that payment on our behalf, we became his. You are not your own anymore if, if you've been born again. You you are his, and and he gets to decide what happens with the rest of your life. And you know, as as a pastor, as as a leader, and uh, sometimes I, I see people going through things that. And I, I would I would not want them to go through. And and I have got to not allow myself to be offended at what God is allowing in in somebody else's life. Who He has purchased, and and they are theirs. They are His. I. I only get to help through it. And and sometimes my prayers aren't as effective for them as I would want them to be. And and this week as I have thought about leaders of of the church in Iraq this this one Anglican bishop who's, who's lost more than a hundred leaders in, in his church in the last few years because they've all been killed. Um, how, how does he do it? Uh, I, I've got to get there. There's... There's something deeper that the Lord wants us to enter into. And it, it requires a, a selflessness that is very unusual and, and very rare in our culture. But we we've got to understand that his his ways are higher than our our ways and, and his his thinking is higher than our thinking. And our happiness, our comfort are our are very, very low on his list of priorities. Instead, he, he is trying to cultivate an overcoming heart within us. And, and, and the way that we cultivate that overcoming heart is by hearing his voice and ho- obeying him to do things that we don't want to do. That's how we get there. And, and that's how the kingdom of heaven is, is released on the earth, is, is through obedience. And, and it, it is about putting others ahead of ourselves. And it is about loving people who are different from us. And it's about loving people that we, we might not even like if we were just left up to ourselves. So, what about finding your own cell? I'm thinking it would probably work better if it wasn't very comfortable. If it required your body to be in a position that was probably uncomfortable enough to keep you awake for an hour of prayer. I... I think it's a really good idea. And I, I want to try it. And in our culture our our souls are, are so easily stirred by things that are not God. And we we need to get to the place where we are more stirred by God and less stirred by things that are not Him. I think that's one of the reasons that the church in Smyrna was rich. They didn't have any distractions. They didn't have anything. But God, I I, I would like God to tell me that I was rich at the time of the end. And Jesus tells us to buy from him gold and silver and, and precious things. So, I I think we need to identify with the persecuted church. That these people aren't going through the difficulty, the trials that they're going through because there's something wrong with them. Because these two letters would say the opposite. and i think you know what i just said so what we did at the beginning of the service today we need to make a habit of doing we 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 have got to get out of any kind of false expression of strength that we think we have. Because it's not doing us any good. In fact, it, it, it has the capability to take us out if we let it go far enough. we 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 can't let offense in can you imagine the believers at, at at Smyrna getting offended at one another because nobody called or nobody came over well they didn't even have their houses anymore they They were surviving because they were staying together. And this is what we need more of, is is being real with each other and bearing one another's burdens. And the Lord will do something in you as you pray for the persecuted church as you get on some of those websites and you, you read some of the stories and, and you begin to take a little bit of time and, and pray for those who, who are facing death and those who are facing slavery and those who are facing losing everything the lord will begin to do something in your heart and you you will begin to identify with them and in the identifying with them something will begin to change in your own heart because you you will begin to understand how how they can actually do it how how they can bear up under such pressure Jesus knew the right word uh, a pressure that would virtually crush you is, is what they are under. And they need our prayers. I, I believe the Lord is preparing us as we are going through Revelation 2 and 3. This is not milk, folks. This, this is meat. It's, it's roast beef. It has to be chewed and savored And then it can become part of us. So I I encourage you to meditate on this stuff. We we have one more week in Revelation chapter 3. We have the last letter coming up. I've never preached through this before. It's not been a lot of fun. And I know many of you, I've seen your faces, it hasn't been that much fun for you either. But I've never been one to walk away from an invited blessing. and there's a blessing spoken for those who teach and for you who who have heard cuz i know he's getting through and there's there's a lot of good seed that's been planted in these last few weeks So let's let's pray. And I want to invite you to pray for the persecuted church right now. There are the Coptic Christians in Egypt. The Christians in Syria, in Somalia, in Kenya, 30 Christian missionaries were just killed this last week in North Korea. I forget the number that were killed in Indonesia. Many have been killed in India. In China, more often, it's prison. I think there were five Christians just killed this last week in Libya. The church is severely persecuted in Iran. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, folks. So Father, I I thank you for the blessing of teaching from the book of Revelation. And I receive it and I give it to these people. Lord, I ask you to take the seed of this meat that's been planted in us and grow it, nurture it. I ask, Lord, that you'd awaken us Mm. like you spoke to the church in Thyatira. Lord, give us your burden. Give us your heart. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are fleeing for their lives right now. That you'd give them swift feet. That you'd put obstacles in front of those who are chasing them, who would kill them or capture them or harm them. Pray, Father, for the leaders in these countries where persecution is severe, that you'd protect them with words of wisdom and words of knowledge, that they would not be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Give them divine missed appointments Lord strengthen us that should the day of persecution come here that that we would be faithful that we would stand Lord raise up the church in In our nation, to be what you've called us to be. And, Church, I bless you in the name of the Ancient of Days. You serve the Ancient of Days. Who sits on the throne and he will decree justice. His justice is not just to defeat the enemy, but to give the enemy's treasures to the saints to rule over. Look at the Ancient of Days who transcends these short seasons when he allows the enemy to act as if he's in control. You are the apple of the eye of the Ancient of Days. He cares for you. Know that he sees and he knows. He is grooming you for triumph, not just survival. And I bless you with lifting your eyes High against every work of the enemy that has come in and will come in to your life. In Jesus' name. Amen.